0: Smith will keep it. He dies for the end zone. He's got a touchdown! Kansas City in one of the greatest comebacks in Chiefs' kingdom history. Oh, it's time! Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Car
1: out of the shotgun. Looks left. There's a lob for Michael Croft. He caught it!
0: He caught it! He caught it! The Raiders have the lead! 35 oh. 35- the T.C. Martin Show. Sweet revenge for Michael Crabtree. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. T.C.
2: Martin. I needed that. I'm
0: starting to feel like football now. Hey, that was a good start. Hey, that was a good start.
3: We're going to finish this for you, all right? The
0: doctor is now in.
3: And a good Monday, too. Glad to have you here. It is the T.C. Martin Show. Oh, yes. After a very busy, electrifying, exciting, any other adjectives we could throw in there for the weekend, a fantastic weekend, especially here in Vegas, man, it started Friday night, WNBA semifinals, the Aces and the Mercury, the fifth and deciding game. Winner advances to the WNBA Finals. The loser's done. And we thought, all of us thought, after three quarters of play, that the Aces were going to the Finals for back-to-back years and hosting games one and two at the Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay. But it wasn't to be so as the Aces lose in the final seconds, 87-84, to over the GOAT, Diana Taurasi, and the Phoenix Mercury. And, uh... The season is over. It came crashing to a halt on Friday night. And two of my guys that were there with me have been there throughout the course of the season. Not just this season, but... All four seasons of the Las Vegas Aces. Brian Salmon, our very good friend, the sports director over at News 3. Sam Gordon, who covers the Aces along with boxing and everything else like we all do uh, for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. They are both going to join me today, and we are going to talk about the wild, crazy weekend that we all experienced. Friday with the Aces, Saturday with Fury Wilder 3, and then, of course... We're all at Allegiant Stadium on Sunday for the Raiders and uh, the Bears. So, uh, busy, crazy weekend, fun weekend. So, we'll dive into all that. We've got a lot to recap today. Timothy Bradley, the former five-time champ, he will join us today. Part of the uh, ESPN boxing crew and coverage. He will join us next hour as well. And, of course, Matthew Holt, who normally joins us on Mondays from U.S. Integrity, of course, talking about the betting counter What transpires on both sides of the counter. And uh, we'll take a look at tonight's Monday Night Football game between the Colts and the Ravens as well. So busy show, packed show, Monday afternoon quarterback edition. But I guess we could throw in, I don't know, the squared circle boxing part of the edition. and, And everything else we got going. And let's bring in my guy who is here in the flesh today on his way to News 3. And he's all, you know, he thinks we're on TV right now because he's he's all he's dressed for the camera. I had to remind him it's radio. But uh, always glad when he could stop
4: by Be Sal, Brian Salmon, and Numbchuck is playing your song live again. I no, know, I know. I'm about to get up and start dancing here in a hot second, Numchuck, man. He's got this this grin on his face when he's playing my my walkout music. <laughs> man, I I love the poison music. How about this though, man? I'm in studio Obviously, I'm dressed for television because I have to go on television when I leave this funky joint. So, uh, but hey, man, anything for my guy T. C. Man, I had to come down and holla at you, man. Um, yeah, this is gonna be fun. I can't stay the whole two hours, obviously, but man, yeah, it's gonna be fun. It's driving me out of my mind. <laughs> That's why I, I sound better in, in studio, baby, man.
3: Well, see, he's doing this because normally when you join us by the phone. There's a delay, listen, listen, and, and this way you can actually
4: is...
3: sing it actually too. The Bel Biv DeVoe oh. Bo- boys, you know. So there you go, yeah. and the B Sal. So Never throw the, the throw the Bel is... Biv DeVoe Salma. There, there it is, you whatever you want to call boys. it.
4: Oh man, my high school graduation song. <laughs> if
1: I were you, I'd the cost.
4: We're off the reels already. <laughs> you better turn this thing off. I'm gonna sing the whole song. You better uh-huh. leave. Speaking of which, I thought was Funny Friday. I know where you're going. Do you know where I'm going? Oh, I thought you were going to say Saturday, Tyson Fury singing in the ring. Never mind. No, no, no. I'm going to go back to Friday. Okay. Friday night, which we're
3: going back to this genre here. (laughs) He's not going to listen. He's not going to pay attention. I'm listening. I'm listening. So after the shoot around on Friday Uh with the Aces, they're done, and they're walking off the court, Mm -hmm. and Chelsea Gray starts singing Mr. Telephone Man. No Yeah, exactly. And I'm going Ooh, like, timeout, girl. I go, what do you know about New Edition? Exactly. And she goes, turns the visuals. What do you know about New Edition? No. And then we had this New Edition conversation, but she was she couldn't get Mr. Telephone Man out of her head. Wow. That, yeah. Wow. That, that I wanted to me, share that with you. That makes
4: me like KP even more. <laughs> new Edition, New Edition, Tony, Tony, Tony are probably my two favorite groups of all time. Mm, of course. I, huh. man, Mr. Telephone Man. That's it. Oh, Nunchuck no, Chuck is killing it on the ones and the twos. Hey, I, I play. I this I think song. we only have a one here. <laughs> man, I play this for my daughters. Really, Mister Telephone Man. Yeah, I have this on my phone. Man, we listen. To, and my my little my little girl, uh, my youngest, Layla, is like, hey, I want to hear Mister Telephone Man. Oh, uh, oh yeah.
3: The, isn't that funny? So when we have Tracy Murray on, so we called Tracy one time and, and it went to voicemail. And he had no. new addition to on, on on his voicemail there. Wow. Yeah.
4: Now, how old school is that? Like who? Who? Well, Trace listens? is kind
3: of you know he's more my, closer to my age, of so course. we'll give him something. Yeah, yeah, of
4: course. But I mean, like but, I have I literally have a um a, a joke or I guess on on social media where this guy this guy is playing music on his on his stereo. He plays the very beginning of the song, then turns it down. Hey, you reach Brian? I'm not home right now. <laughs> leave a message at the tone who remembers doing that like do you remember doing that back absolutely. in the day oh my god a- absolutely i cried laughing <laughs> cried laughing
3: that was classic
4: that is super classic you you gotta be an old school cat to remember playing music and using like the the beginning of a song absolutely answer machine that was so tracy having that on his yeah voicemail still yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: It was awesome. I'm
4: a, I gotta send you that, man. I, I'm gonna send you that. Do it. I love it, to see it, it. I cry every time I see it. So. Uh, see, that's it. You get the old school
3: here. Oh, I love old school. You, you gotta love it. Love old school. All right, man. No
4: Jesse Merritt going on in here right now. You got that right, yeah. See,
3: Jesse, we, we, I love Jesse, but you know, we, we can't incorporate him in in, in these segments.
4: Can't no, do it. I, I call him the Similac child, man. Yeah. Breast smells like Similac.
3: <laughs> Which, Nebra- then, Nebraska guy, you know. Yeah. Come on, what's he know about some old school?
4: Exactly, and he had to actually look up what Similac was.
3: Oh, please, please, <laughs>
4: please! Didn't know what Similac was. He, he laughed and he's like, "Hold up, man, Brian, you know I had to go up and look what Similac actually was." Now I get why you call me the Similac kid. Now he's you know? got it. Yeah,
3: what a weekend, huh, man?
4: oh my goodness man i'm still tired yeah i probably look tired on my face man i have to put a lot of extra makeup you know it's funny on.
3: because <laughs> i've been apologizing for my voice for about the last three four days uh-huh. and i noticed you got it too man. both of our voices are, are pretty much shot because again you're when you do your your sportscasts i mean it's not like you're talking like this i mean you bring the energy i try as well no you do you, you do and so you know but you know come on man you're not talking for two straight hours like some of us you know what i'm saying so (laughs) it shouldn't be it shouldn't be that raspy so i don't know so i don't know if if most of that is just all the the talk you're doing to everyone else you know before Uh, you go on like at the fight saturday night exactly friday the same thing you know so i think that's where you lose a voice where i lose it actually behind the microphone
4: yeah honestly my voice sounds like this right now because i'm just tired
3: yeah i hear you You
4: know what i mean like this is what i sound like when i get up and i can feel it in my eyes where you know like you Got to put a little water on your face because mm-hmm. they're kind of burning a little bit because they're a little bit tired. That's that's the only reason I sound like yeah. this is what I sound like when I get up.
3: Yeah, I yeah. want to go through the schedule uh with you, but I want to wait. We're gonna have Sam Gordon join us at two thirty. The Bull. That's what so I call him. yeah. We've got radio, TV, print all covered, and uh-huh. like I said in the open, you know, all three of us have covered. All of this, what we're talking about today, we, we've covered the aces from the beginning, yeah. And of course, we all cover the boxing, yeah. we've always done that. And then, of course, we're covering the NFL with the Raiders as well, too. So, yeah. I want to go to little round table discussion. And we wanted to get Sam in here today as I well. But Sam is on his way to a press press conference, he's got to be at three o'clock. So, okay. he goes, Hey, I could join you by the phone. I said, Yeah, I'm gonna have B Sal in. So, let's we're I, I want to table that our weekend of covering the Sweet. Friday, Saturday uh rather friday yeah friday saturday and sunday i'm getting my days mixed up too uh, with sam so i'll be fun but um let's let's talk raiders because right. we were at the game yesterday and oh, exactly in, in in that sigh just like that it, it was crazy
4: Bears!
3: Yeah. <laughs> ballpark frank very happy sitting in the hospital today oh, man we got a chicago in there. Yep, house, and huh? then we got a on the in this i got oh, i you know having a, i got the hand that was dealt to me with i got Two Chicagoans, which I don't mind during baseball season because we all love talking Cubs and everything. <laughs> but you know, now with you know with the Bears, Raiders yesterday, yes, okay, uh, craziness. Did you have the feeling? I know it's kind of a retrospect now, but did you have the feeling that we would see that performance from them yesterday, considering the short week, the battle against the Chargers, and what transpired
4: Friday with Gruden and the emails? Honestly, no, I did not. Mm-hmm. I, I. I mean, because that was a terrible, terrible game. Mm. I didn't think they'd play another bad game on top of a bad game. Because as you know, mm. I was in Los Angeles yep. for that Chargers yes. game, and that game was really bad. I thought that they would have, uh, I thought they would have come out and played much better. Um, although what happened with Gruden and listening to Josh Jacobs after the game and Unique and kind of talk after the game, I think that what happened and transpired with Gruden over ten years ago has probably hit the team a little bit harder than most people are willing to admit.
3: Yeah. Um let's get into this uh here and as as far as that that topic goes and just to to reset it in this story you know, broke on Friday. We really didn't get a chance to talk about it at the Cosmopolitan uh, on Friday because it was just happening, just yeah. developing at that yeah. point in time, and we got more information after we left the air on Friday. But you know, back in 2011, uh, John Gruden was an ESPN analyst for Monday Night Football. We all remember that, right? And uh, he had emailed. Uh, the Washington football team, or at that time the Redskins president, and his longtime friend Bruce Allen uh, with with an email that said the NFL Players Association president, D. Maury Smith, uh, who is black, had uh, lips the size of a Michelin tires. Uh, Gruden also made a vulgar comment about the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell. Gruden later told ESPN that he used the term rubber lips to describe someone he saw as lying and that he was frustrated by the lockout at that time that was going on and the failed negotiations between D. Maury Smith and Roger Goodell. And we remember that, that frame and this Mm -hmm. and that Uh, Gruden addressed this with the players. Yeah. Uh, had a players meeting on Friday morning, uh, letting them know that this article was about ready to come out in the wall street journal. And this was written, um, you know, you know, by a guy from the Wall Street Journal. He knew that it was going to be coming out. And uh, he said, I'm going to tell you what my comments were. He said he was very upfront with the team about the comments. And, uh, and, and he talked about it. And here's John Gruden. Um, before we get into Gruden's comments, uh, let's. John Gruden says he's not a racist. Okay, I, I understand that. But when you are start talking about someone's lips, a black person's lips, and Brian Salmon, who sits here, who is black, no shocker there, okay? <laughs> for, for a little when, while. Now. When you when you hear this, if someone's talking about someone is, like, running off at the mouth or they've got a personality or something, I don't know about you. I'm just, and again, I'm just talking off the top, you know, what my feeling here is, yeah. is that you hear someone talk about, you know, that guy, you know. He runs his mouth. He talks more about the mouth yeah. than zeroing in on lips. The only time we hear someone zeroing in possibly on lips is if they're making a derogatory comment about, about a black person here. I'm just saying Gruden could have gone here in a whole bunch of different ways. But why you select that and then you kind of backslide a little bit by saying, well, no, you know, Michelin tires. I went with that just because, you know, I, I didn't like what was coming out of his mouth. Well, maybe you should say that. Instead of going to that. Because I think that's where everyone's focusing on. And that kind of brings in the the racist tone. Oh, Give me yeah. your thoughts about that.
4: A few things. Um, one, I will say, uh, I heard this on the Doug Gottlieb show. Mm-hmm. And I really, uh, I was like, you know what? That's a very good take. Uh, he says, anytime you use any derogatory... Um, comment about any ethnicity's physical look. And he, Doug Gottlieb, who is Jewish, talked about how people talk about Jewish people's nose. And if you use that, that's, that's, you don't go there, right? You don't go there. Black people. If you talk about someone's lips, you don't go there. There are a million ways that you can call them the an MF and, and all kinds of other stuff. And you know, if you, if you don't like somebody, there are a million ways you can say, you don't like that guy. He's a, he's an A, whatever. You know what I mean? Like there, he's a donkey. You know what I mean there's a, a ton of ways. Um, I think bringing it to an ethnic slur, so to speak, is absolutely the wrong way to go. Um, and i, I, I don't I don't see how I, I don't see how any of his players don't don't feel the same way about that. Uh, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's a it's no good. now, going from what John Gruden said to saying he is a racist no one that that's the that's the worst thing someone can be called <laughs> that's that's the worst thing a racist can be called is a racist mm-hmm. you know what i mean just be and I, and I say that to say that not people who say racist things often they get offended when you call them racist right right you know what i mean <laughs> like people who have racist tendencies get really offended when you call them racist well hey guess what Stop doing racist things i, I don't know if john gruden is or not but what he said was highly racially motivated and racist tone. I mean, it's, I mean, it's pretty simple as that. How,
3: so how did you take it when you heard the comments or read the email, uh, you know, Mark Davis put out, said, hey, we're not going to address this. And then more and more information came out. And then after what you heard Gruden say yesterday after the game at the press conference.
4: Yeah. Well, I actually ran it last night on Sports Night, mm-hmm. uh, John Gruden and his comments almost in its entirety. Um one, I'm not going to keep addressing this. I didn't like him saying that. Right. I'm not going to keep addressing this. Like, really? I mean, why, why are you not going to keep addressing? If someone has questions about it and you are sorry about it, then you need to, I'm sure, accountability. Accountability, mm-hmm. you teach that as a parent. You teach that as a coach, I'm sure. Accountability. Mm-hmm. So stand up and be accountable for what you said, even though it was a private email, supposed to be a private email. So, I mean, I don't like the fact that that got out, but at the same time, uh, Donald Sterling did his talk in private. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Now, I'm not saying that John Gruden is anywhere close to the level of Donald Sterling and his reputation up into that point, because Gruden has had a, you know, a flawless reputation as far as that's concerned up to that point, and Sterling did not. But both of them were in private and it came to the light, and both of them were obviously racist, uh, you know, prejudiced speak. Mm-hmm. So, ugh, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, um, I didn't. I didn't like his. I didn't like what he said necessarily in his press conference after the game. Specifically, just the fact that he
5: didn't want to talk about it anymore.
3: Right. Like, no. All right, we're going to hit those comments. Right here's what John Gruden said last night after the game when questioned about the emails.
5: All I can say is I, I'm not a racist. I don't. Uh, I can't uh, tell you how sick I am. I apologize again to to, to D. Smith, um, but I feel good about who I am and what I've done my entire life and uh, I apologize for the insensitive remarks I had uh, no uh, you know I I had no racial uh, intentions with those remarks at all but uh, yes they can I'm I'm uh, I'm not like that at all but I apologize I don't want to keep addressing it I have not had any contacts with them yet but uh, we'll see what happens here in the next few days You know, I'm not going to answer all these questions today. I think I've addressed it already. Uh, I can't remember a lot of the things that transpired 10 or 12 years ago, but um, I stand here uh, in front of everybody apologizing. I know I'm not – I don't have an ounce of of racism in me. I'm a a guy that takes pride in leading people together, and I'll continue to do that for the rest of my life. And, again, I apologize to D. Smith and anybody out there that that I have offended.
3: All right, John Gruden, uh, on his – response yesterday obviously mm. like you said d- doesn't want to keep addressing it I know you're not happy with his comments how do you think he should have handled this
4: I think that he should have stood up there and answered as many questions as the reporters had on that topic and just went with it with that I mean basically you you apologize obviously like he did which was good I, I appreciated that but saying that you you don't want to talk about it anymore I, I that I'm not a fan of mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you I mean you you just you have to take your medicine. You have to take your medicine. And that's what you teach. You teach that as a parent, you teach that as a coach 1000%. So, you have to put that into practice. I other than that, I I think you do it exactly what he, you know, what he did.
3: All right, uh Derek Carr also addressed yeah. the comments regarding Gruden. Here's what Derek Carr had to
2: say. He was very honest and upright with us before you're gonna to have to help me on the day. But before that article came out, he, the, the morning before that article, we didn't even know about the article. He just told us exactly what he said in that emails uh, or in those emails. Um, he, he, he tried his best to remember. And he told us upfront what he said about Gene Upshaw, uh, which were very positive things. What he said about, uh, Maurice. what he said about whatever you guys know. Um, and he, he just flat out told us and, uh, and he addressed it. He was honest. He was up up front with it. And us as a team were like, I mean, yeah, coach. I mean, it was ten years ago, we love you, man. You we got your back. You know, and we're just trying to be there to support coach. You know, I know it's hard time for him. Um, what he said to us, you know, I'll, I'll let him speak on that. You know, I don't want to speak for him, of course. But um, we, when we left that meeting, it was like, dang, that you know, it sucks, man. You know, uh, you know. Uh, he he probably regrets it, you know, he, he does, he wish, you know, he, he taught us, he told us like men learn from my mistake, you know, he said that to us, you know, so, um, I wish, I don't want to get into detail of what he said to us, but at the same time when we left that meeting, we, we didn't take it as how it came out. You, you know what I'm saying? And so when it came out, we were we were like, Oh dang, now this, you know, how it goes in media now it's going to get blown up. And you know, even if people don't know him, they're going to catch on to that. Um, but yeah, it was. I talked with Charles Davis. You know, he did our game, and he knows. You know, they were together for a long time. You know, and and I told him. He said, "You." He said, "When the article came out, were you shocked?" I said, "I was very shocked because he's never shown anything like that kind of um, characteristics at all." So, absolutely. That's why I, I, I'm not trying to speak on it or for it. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like I, 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 I love everybody. You know, I, I I don't have a racist bone in my body. I I, I don't, and I don't believe that Coach does either. I, I really don't. Um, everything he said to me, he's been honest. Uh, he's been upfront since the day he got here, and everything he said to me has happened. You know, and so I can only judge him based on how I know him. And so I don't. Uh, for me, I can absolutely understand, and I don't want anyone to ever feel that way. You know, I, I've said things, you know, you know, to my kids or to I'm like, man, I, I didn't mean it that way, or to my wife, I didn't mean it that way. I, I got to explain, and by that time, someone's already upset, and it's hard to explain. You know, uh, I've done that with my brothers many times, but um, in this scenario, uh, I can understand absolutely the hurt um, that that Dee's probably feeling. Uh, again, Dee's been great with me. You know, uh, with the PA and all that, he's always been great. We've always had great conversations, and I love him, you know. Um, so it's hard. You know, I love, I love D and I love Coach, and I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to do my best to, you know, navigate through that.
3: All right, the Raiders quarterback, Derek Carr, on his thoughts. Now, you go to Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs said, I've been around this guy for three years now. I've never felt a certain type of way about him. He's never rubbed me a certain way, that type of way. I mean, what he said is what he said at the end of the day, too. But, I mean, I definitely trust him. I mean, it was 10 years ago. People grow. Derek Carr, obviously, is white. Josh Jacobs is black. 75%, <laughs> yeah. S- 80% of that locker room is black. All right? So, and there's always the debate after the Raiders played the way they played yesterday. Did this have an effect? Okay? Yeah. We, 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 yeah. can, we, we can save that for later. But just the dichotomy here of of how people take this. And if you are a black player and you are speaking in a racist tone against your black union leader, I got to believe, B-SAL, that black players are going to feel different than white players. Derek Carr is saying what he's saying and other players, as, as you know, I don't know if you attempted to talk to other players on the Raiders. Some said no comment. They didn't want to talk about it. Josh Jacobs really isn't really backing John Gruden, you know. So, again, I firmly believe this is the last thing that you want to have in a locker room is this type of stuff go on and then have a racial division within your locker room. We saw it with the Niners and Colin Kaepernick you know, years ago, others as well, too. I, I got to believe that 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 black players feel a little bit differently and some are going to be reluctant to come out and go after their head coach. And that's why we're seeing some no comments. Your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I think that um, the players are doing one thing that I'm sure they learned growing up. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at Mm all with the whole no comment. And to me, that probably tells me that that player probably feels a certain kind of way about that. Mm -hmm. And as you said, Josh Jacobs didn't get out there and dog his coach out, but he wasn't like, you know what? Um, I understand the comments because I'm sure he he didn't care for him. Uh, He said... If you read between the lines, in my opinion, I think that's kind of what he's saying. Derek Carr, whom loves everybody, and I don't think there's a person that covers Derek Carr that doesn't absolutely believe that he feels that way. You know what I mean? He's just a good dude. Right. Um, you know, he's just trying He's trying to do the right thing of backing his coach. Or just how you would back your child if they do something wrong. You still love them. You still support them and whatnot. Even though you probably, you tell them, you know, what you did was terrible. That was wrong. Um I mean, Carr actually said that as well. You know what he did. I I completely understand why black players would feel a certain kind of way about it, is which is what he said. Um, but you know, it's it's over and done with now. So you know, I'm trying to I'm going to back my coach and you know, um, and and kind of ride this thing out with him. So yeah, I. But with all that being said, mm-hmm. I don't think they necessarily will have a divide in the locker room. Uh, something that I saw, which I really appreciated, Teddy Bruschi talked about this, and Randy Moss talked about this. And I don't know if you saw Randy Moss was crying in tears. Yes. Yeah. He, he's from West Virginia. Right. I don't know if you've been to West Virginia. West Virginia is, might as well be Mississippi. You know what I mean? I've been there, and it might as well be Mississippi burning for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of climate. So uh, Bruschi says, like, listen, I wouldn't necessarily want to play for him, but I could. You know what I mean? And Because he's a professional. So every one of those players is a professional. Every one of them wants to win. Everyone knows that if I follow this coach, it'll enhance our chances as a team of winning. So all those guys are, I think, will still play for him. But they, there's a point in time as a black person, you were like, okay, you have revealed yourself to me in a sense. I don't know if they've had that aha moment. Because I don't necessarily feel that aha moment to myself. Like, you know, uh, okay, Green, you had me fooled, but okay, I know who you are now. You know, as a black man, you absolutely have that kind of spidey sense where you can know someone has revealed themselves to you. You can deal with them professionally in any other kind of way. Right. But you just, okay, man, I know who you are now. I don't necessarily know if players feel that way. Right. I don't necessarily feel that way about John Green in particular, but it'll be interesting to see. Does the... Time frame,
3: soften it a little bit because it was 2011 because, we you know, Josh Jacobs, oh, it was a long time ago. But, you know, and again, you know, if this comes out 10, 11 years ago, does that, you know, have the
4: same effect? Don't know. You know, uh, it, it's, Oh I'm sorry. If you're asking me. Yeah. I know the time frame doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, he was, what, 49 years old when he said exactly right. You know what I mean? Like if you know, people say, "Well, you know, that was a long time ago. I I
3: didn't know that guy then. I'm playing for him now, from a player's perspective. uh, You know, I don't know. You know, again, but you know, a lot of people like to defer to that. Say, well, it happened a long time ago. Gruden himself says, "Well, it happened a long time ago. I really can't remember." And that's weak. And that's a that's a very weak stance
4: for him, especially when you go and you have your quarterback say he talked to us and told us everything that he said. You know what I mean? If Carr basically came and said that, hey, uh, Coach told us what he said, he knew about the article because obviously a good journalist, you know, gets both sides. Right. So, I don't know. I a long time ago, I don't remember what I said. I don't want to hear that. Yeah,
3: exactly. All right, we're going to dive more into this uh, when our reporter comes on next, uh, Sam Gordon. Ah, Sam. And uh, Sam and I were talking about this actually when this story broke, you know, Friday night prior to the Aces game as well too. And, you know, Sam was, you know, the RJ instructed him to to find out what's going on and he was – you know, asking me, hey, when you talk to Mark Davis at the halftime show, are, are you going to ask him about this? I'm going. No, I'm not going to ask Mark Davis about it because when Mark Davis put out a statement that said, you know, we're going to look into this, that we have no further comment. So when I see that, uh, then obviously that I'm not going to the go statement. there. That is a statement, and and plus I'm I'm there on behalf of the Las Vegas Aces and Mark Davis, and we're. You know, and I know how Mark Davis feels about talking Raiders at Aces games. He wants to talk about the Aces, of course. Of you know, course. so it's I, 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 not I'm, I'm not case. I'm not going to go there. But yeah. you know, Sam has a different job or a different role than than I have. You know when it when it comes you know you know to that so he I know it doesn't that he had, work
4: yeah. for Mark Davis. That's true and true
3: too, right? Exactly. So <laughs> all right, so we'll talk to Sam uh, regarding this because there's some other elements I want to hit on this, but then I want to go over the weekend, the Friday night, the Saturday, the fight. We're going to talk uh, about yeah, that. Man. It's it, it's going to be some great stuff. So hang tight with that. This is a Monday afternoon quarterback edition of the TC Martin Show. Be Sal. Brian Salmon in the house, the Uh, sports director over at News 3. And Sam Gordon's going to join us next, later. Timothy Bradley, the five-time champ, does a great job on ESPN's boxing coverage. We've got a whole lot more in store around your door. More of what you're looking for. Hey, this is Steve Heitner, and you're listening to T.C.
6: Martin. He's huge, baby. All right,
3: back at you on this Monday. T.C. Martin, Brian Salmon in the house. And uh, Sam Gordon's going to join us now as well, too, from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. I wanted to have my guys in here. All right. Guys that have been, been covering a lot of the same stuff that we talk about here regularly. Of course, Friday night, we had a, a great weekend. Unfortunately, Friday night, it we had this great anticipation of the Las Vegas Aces winning game number five at the Ultra Arena in Mandalay Bay and going to the WNBA Finals. We're all looking forward to hosting games one and two. Oh. We're all looking forward to going to Chicago. <laughs> I could have turned you guys on to so many of my great food spots there in uh, Chicago. You probably know Chicago well. I've only been there yeah. once. Honestly. Oh, there you go. But uh, B Sal in the house. Sam Gordon joined us via the phone. Sammy and uh, we're going to talk about uh, this wild, crazy weekend here in Vegas. Sam, what's going on, brother? TC, B Sal. How you guys doing? It's a beautiful Monday, and I
0: uh, appreciate you guys having me on to chop it
3: up. All right, good deal, good What's deal. Happening? All right, so let's let's start, and we're going to get back to the Raiders stuff. So we're going to go in progression here. Okay, we were all there Friday night at the Mandalay Bay. Sam covering the Aces oh, for the Aces, yeah. and like I said at the beginning of the program, been doing it since the inception. B Sal covering from the TV side from the inception, yes. and I've been you know with with the Aces and the radio side since the inception. So uh, guys, we were all anticipating an aces victory friday night and we all saw each other at the fight on saturday night and now and we're still doing the same thing we're shaking our head Uh, so sam let's start with you friday night what happened
0: well well tc i'm still uh, i'm still i'm still trying to kind of figure that out (laughs) low key um but it, it was just you know the aces um I thought they played a good game, right? And Phoenix played a great game. Uh, it sounds cliche, and it's, it, but, it, but games so often come down to you know a play or two, and that's what happened here. Uh, the Aces have an eight-point lead going into the fourth quarter. You're at home. You have the best crowd in franchise history yeah. supporting the team. I mean, it was an unbelievable electric atmosphere. And Phoenix had really struggled up to that point. Brittany Griner was doing her thing, but I thought Jackie Young had done a fantastic job on Diana Taurasi, keeping her at bay. And then you know the fourth quarter starts, and, and Tarasi heats up, and, and I think that that shell shocked the Aces a little bit. And all of a sudden, ten nothing run for Phoenix, and you're in a, a back and forth game um, against the greatest you know the greatest player in WNBA history and the greatest center in league history, right? At the right. same time, and you got to trade baskets with those two, and that's what it came down to. And at the end of the day. The Aces had a, had opportunities, right? I mean, they had not only did they have an eight point lead going in the fourth quarter, they have a four point lead with two and a half minutes, and they had their opportunities. I mean, they had layups right under the basket with a minute left to, 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 to take the lead. They they had opportunities to score a, a, to score crucial baskets. There was a couple of huge turnovers, you know, trying to force passes down the stretch. And I think at the end of the day, uh, fellas, the moment was just a little too big. I mean, you have to you're, you're trying to trade shots with Diana Taurasi and, and Brittany Griner. And there's an enormous amount of pressure that goes with that, uh, especially after they, 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 smoked the eight point lead to start the quarter. And I think it was just one of those things where, where they didn't, they didn't execute the way they needed to down the stretch and a veteran team like Phoenix did. And, uh, you know, that's unfortunate for the Aces. This is the third year where they have a, a roster, a, you know, championship quality roster. I think this was this one guys, and I'm sure you guys will agree, the most talented one yet, uh, the most talented, the, the deepest and the ability to play the most styles. And uh, and for whatever reason, it, it just didn't come together. I mean, I think it was a perfect storm. You have to credit Phoenix, and um, you know, Bill Lambeer did after the game. Phoenix's stars made plays, and, and the Aces' stars didn't. You know, in the in the in the last two minutes, and uh, that's what it came down to. And you know, devastating for the Aces on a number of levels.
3: Yeah, the Aces led by eight at the end of the third quarter. You mentioned that ten nothing run that Phoenix went on. Uh, they were outscored twenty nine to eighteen in the fourth. The intensity, the drama. They, you had the greatest players in the game on that floor, and two of them in in Brittany Griner and Diana Taurasi, and then you know just uh, two days or two days later. Diana Taurasi was named the GOAT of the WNBA of the 25 years. Uh, this has been going on for the last month and a half. They've been you know, voting and everything, and deservedly so. Uh, the timing perfect there where she is, uh, again, I always try to tell people, she is the Michael Jordan of the WNBA, and she was voted that now as the greatest player in the history of the WNBA. The all-time leading scorer over 9,200 points and still counting, but the bottom line is this was the end of the season. You talk about the missed layups. Liz Cambage missed yeah. five guys five in the fourth quarter five yeah I and I'm calling the game and kind of lose track of you know what's going on and I went back and I and I rewatched the fourth quarter Saturday night at, when I came home after the fight really late and I counted five five bunnies from two feet in yeah. five yeah uh, and then you Sam mentioned the the bounce pass off of Plum's fingers yeah. you know in the final minute and. And the the turnovers. And then if you're Aquana Williams, you can't foul. Shea Petty as a yep. shot clock is expiring from the three point arc. And she just you know, at that point in time you just gotta put your hands up and say, Hey, I mean it was a wild shot. If it goes in, it goes in. But if she threw she threw her body in there and she made two of the three free throws and that was it. But there were so many things that just went wrong in that final quarter. And it is a shame because, yeah, I, I do believe the Aces were the better team. But as Bill Lambier said, and I was glad to hear Bill Lambier say it, we don't have a Diana Tarazzi and a Brittany Griner. And that's why the Aces lost in the Mercury Advanced.
4: Uh, you know what? Well, I'll, I'll take a, a bit of a different approach than my guy Sammy because Sammy is uh, much more of a hard news journalist than I am. And you know, he, he covers the team, win or lose. Doesn't necessarily get his emotions involved, which is a, what a good journalist does. Uh, I myself, I, I get my emotions involved. It doesn't deter me from, you know, speaking facts right. and whatnot. But um, I, I will say that a few things. Bill Lambert is always very um, honest. Something that he also mentions is the fact that the calls that Don and Taurasi got in that fourth quarter did not help did not help. I mean her creating the contact and everything else. That's not why they lost the game, but that did not help the Aces. Um the fact that he said that they don't have a closer, I would disagree in the fact that Chelsea Gray is definitely their closer. Well, I'm and, with you, Bisha. Yes, she is. She is, but she's not at that level and that experience
3: of a Tarazi or a Griner. She's on at the, that, you know what I'm saying? I think she's
4: on the level of Griner, not Tarazi. Um I mean, she's got, she's got a WNBA championship. She does. How many, how many game-winning shots has she hit this season where she when, when it's on the line, she is unafraid to take that shot? Mm-hmm. And I would push back on Bill and be critical of, and I've talked to you about this, mm-hmm. and the fact that why did Chelsea Gray not have the ball in her hands mm-hmm. taking the shot to tie the game? Mm-hmm. Asia got a great look but you're going at a, a woman who's six foot eight and blocked shots and didn't even have to jump to block that shot. Why does she not have the ball? Why is she taking it out? And if she's taking it out, why did not she get it back immediately? Um, but as far as the aces kind of, they fell apart at the end of that game. If you think about it, what was the bad play that Chelsea gray made? I don't remember one. You know what I mean? Like i that she made she the
3: bounce pass to Plum in a little bit of traffic. Plum wasn't expecting it. it went was off her fingers. Forest? That was at the last minute. Yeah, okay. yeah, right. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, but again, a perfect they, storm. They weren't in a, in a a defined set at that point in time. They were kind of scrambling a little bit, and Plum, you know, cut to the hoop. Just trying to make a good yeah. play. When... And, and going back to the 4.8 seconds, this is a play that they actually worked on in Shoot Around. And I was there earlier in the day. It's a great play. It, it was. Not against but,
4: Brittany Griner. B- b-
3: <laughs> here, well, here's the thing not with Jackie Young either. Now, that was designed for Jackie Young. And when they ran it in Shoot Around, it was the exact same thing. Chelsea Gray took the ball out of bounds, and Jackie came in, okay, and then came off of a back cut, and then they tried to backdoor her as she was okay cuz the ball was on the on the the, the near sideline and then so Jackie really didn't it's like a wide receiver i mean Wide receiver is going to get open. She didn't cut like exactly, exactly, rock. Exactly. Mm. exactly. You have to make and yourself available in back exactly. for a pass. And Skylar diggins Smith really didn't, or I think it was, uh, yeah, didn't really bite in, into that at that point she's in time. Not shooting so all. when that wasn't um, when that wasn't open. Uh oh, where do I go? Option two is Asia. Then Asia gets on the baseline, like you said, going to traffic. And now the clock's winding down. Pressure on, and but there, there you go. Why yeah. I understand is yeah.
4: Chelsea Gray not option one? Yeah. I don't care about all of that. Like that's, a, it's a great place. She got a good look, yeah. but that's not the look. You you do not want a look of anyone going to the basket with Brittany Griner's. Lambier feels that she
3: is the best inbounder, the best passer. Just like, I don't care. like Sandy Brondello thinks Diana Taurasi. I mean, that that's what they do, I though. Care. I know, but I don't, I don't but care. I, I agree. <laughs> I don't Chelsea care. Gray should have been taken. She should have been option one, Asia Wilson, <laughs> yeah. or two, one or two of those. Drop another play, or well, or get them in well, a pick well, and roll.
0: <laughs> you know that that was guys going to the pick and roll. I mean, it, it, in throughout the course of the season, now four point eight seconds. It's enough. It's enough time to get a pick and roll off. Sure. You have to draw it up and execute it quickly, but. That was the bread and butter when they, when the Aces had been in late game situations throughout the course of the season. It happened once against the Seattle Storm and again, again against Washington Mystics. The Aza Wilson Chelsea Gray pick and roll was their go to play because there's so depending on how you how you defend Chelsea Gray, she's a three level scorer. You go onto the screen, she's going to take yes. the shots. You can probe and kick, or she can find Asia Wilson on a roll. Right there's a number of options there. So that that had been their bread and butter. I just wonder if Lambier didn't feel like there was enough time to execute that crisply because. There, that's that's a play that you know you want to be able to kind of dribble and set up and, and sometimes it's hard to execute at a moment's notice. But but I hear what you guys are saying. I mean they they didn't get a great look. I mean they, they didn't get a great look. Phoenix was ready for it. It's a credit to Phoenix. Phoenix was prepared. I mean I it's not, obviously the Aces made a number of mistakes and didn't execute and we could talk about that all, all day long because that's what happened. Yes. But Phoenix. On the road in front of the rabid crowd, right—a rabid home crowd. Ninety-six
3: hundred and eighty,
0: man. And it, you know, guys, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 no, Michelob, That's an intimate venue. So ninety-six hundred feels like twenty thousand in that yeah. small venue with yeah. the way the acoustics are working. Mm-hmm. And you had two Hall of Fame, all-time great players, unfazed by that, on the road in the fourth quarter of a game five. So I think they did. Um, they deserve it. Right. Mm-hmm. right. They deserve as much credit. For the way they played, as the aces do blame for the way they fell apart, right? It's, it's yeah. twofold. And I think. Agreed. Yeah, and,
3: and, we, and we could. You're right, Sam. And the thing about it is, we could. You know, blame the officials, and we can go back and say Liz Cambage was fouled several times. Asia can make the argument; Asia was fouled in that final possession, maybe too. I don't. Think but so. B Sal made, made a good point. <laughs> hey, you had six nine there. You know, defending her and basically why didn't jump. I know. I, I went back and I, I looked at that too, and I go, uh, you know, why are and the, you taking and, and, that and, shot? Yeah, yeah, And Referees, uh, you're going to swallow <laughs> their whistle uh, under that. So anyway, and, and,
0: and one thing, one thing, guys, real quick on the calls, like great, like. The GOAT is going to get calls. Like, that's just what it is. And you have to be – you cannot let that rattle you from a psychological standpoint. All the great players in basketball, on the women's side and the men's side, are going to get big calls in big moments. That's just the way it goes. And that's what happened. And, again, I thought the Aces were a little out of source after Diana Taurasi started heating up because that – I mean, you you get her going. You got to see the way she plays, the moxie, the way she carries herself. She's talking out there. It, Love her it, demeanor. You have the greatest player ever doing that in the fourth quarter. That's that's a little intimidating, yes, and it certainly yes. felt that 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 turned the tide when she started to heat up
4: for sure. Hold yes. on, one real quick. How many free throws did she shoot in the fourth quarter? I w- I, w- I wish I knew that because I don't know how many free throws she took in his, in the fourth quarter. The ones that bother me are not going to the ba- the the throwing your arms James Harden into people giving them th- giving her those calls when at at certain points in the game she wasn't getting those calls. Right. You know what I mean? Like if. Don't change up at the end of the game. And I'm not saying this to say that that is the reason why they lost the game. Like Sam just said, which was a absolutely great point, Phoenix made plays when they had to make plays, and that's the real reason why they won the game. And the Aces helped out immensely, whether it be – um, the foul to give them the to give uh, the Phoenix Mercury the three shots at the end of the game that ultimately won the game for right. them was it Bill Lambert calling a terrible play and I will say that I'll scream that from the high heavens that was a terrible play call. Chelsea Gray on a snatchback pull-up elbow jump shot mm-hmm. is the play that Great. they should have run that she's hit I don't know how many times this season.
3: Right. Uh, just so you know, uh, Don is five for six in that fourth quarter, the free throw line, seven for eight overall. And uh, how about some kudos to the Aces, though, at the free throw line, guys. Uh, was it uh, 20 for 20 at the free throw line? Wow. Yeah.
4: Wow. Yeah. And I remember Phoenix took tough. 28, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So uh Amazing.
0: And last thing on the game, guys. Um, it was I thought it was really, really physical, and there were a lot of calls I think that that were missed both ways. I think the refs let them play for the most part throughout Until the year. It was a really physical game. <laughs> they let them play a lot on both ways.
3: I agree. All right, guys. Uh, so much. So that was Friday night, and again, real quickly, we were at the fight Saturday night, and what we witnessed was one of the greatest heavyweight fights of all time. And I usually don't like throwing that term out, but when Bob Arum uh, says I, at the yeah. press conference. I've been in this for fifty-seven years, and it's the greatest heavyweight fight uh, of all time, or that I don't, he's ever I don't seen, hear that, Bob. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, Brian, it's kind of hard to argue that. And, and again, I'm, I, I initially didn't think that, but then when you think of the magnitude of this fight and the five knockdowns that we saw, and Tyson Fury getting off the canvas after getting knocked down twice in one round—wow—to really win this fight convincingly. I mean, he was winning this fight convincingly, but you had the sense that Deontay Wilder, he kept coming back, and then Deontay Wilder kept delivering these bombs. Yeah, no. And Now, now granted, Fury dominated the fight, okay? And when you look at the total punches landed here, 150 for Fury, 72 for Wilder. Jabs. I, I don't think I could ever recall a stat like this. Deontay Wilder landed nine jabs the entire fight. No no fury only landed thirty six but still thirty six to nine in jabs, nine jabs. power punches one fourteen to sixty three in favor of fury and in the ninth round, Tyson fury connected on nearly fifty percent twenty two of forty five Wilder was in single digits in every round, but one as far as connectivity think about that
4: i, I honestly i 've watched a lot of fights i 'll say a few things one Bob Arum... Is the king of hyperbole. So I, I don't. I don't want to hear that. Especially better than Muhammad Ali, the Thrill in Manila. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going there. However, that fight was one of the most exciting fights I've There's ever seen. There's
3: probably more action in this fight than the Thrill in the Middle. As far, as, definitely knockdowns. Yeah, no. As, far and as people the... and
4: being hurt. Now the hype for and,
3: that and, fight. Oh my goodness, no doubt. But,
4: but. anything involved Muhammad Ali, and uh, he's the greatest athlete and, and person I look up to of all time. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't say that personally. Right. Um, and Bob Aram is definitely known to be uh, to speak with hyperbole. Mm-hmm. So, But I love Bob Arum. Mm-hmm. Um But I, I will say that, uh, man, Deontay Wilder landing single digits. The fight that I watched, Deontay Wilder won the first round easily.
3: He, he won the first round on all three judges' scorecards.
4: Yeah. yeah. I, I, man, I, I didn't get the, um, the official scorecards.
3: Yeah, they were all pretty much like uh, 97, 92 really? at that point in time. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Fellas. Go ahead, Sam.
0: You know, I – listen, like you guys said, I'm with TC. I think – I'm not saying it's a thrill of Manila, but this is one of the great heavyweight fights certainly in modern history. I mean, I can't recall a heavyweight fight like this certainly in the last 25 or 30 years, right? And the heart and character of both fighters was on full, full, full display, right? Both guys, like you said, getting up from multiple knockdowns, brutal shots, bombs, bombs. And I want to say this, particularly as it pertains to Deontay Wilder. We know the aftermath of the rematch, right, where where Mark Breland throws in the towel and Deontay Wilder says he wanted to go out on his shield, like that he was ready to go out on his shield, do not (laughs) throw the towel. That was one of the the main storylines. I'm telling you guys right now, and and Deontay Wilder walked in that ring Saturday night ready to die for that belt. He was not quitting for anything. He absorbed so much punishment throughout the course of that fight and kept coming and coming and coming. He did not relent until finally he couldn't do it anymore. It was a heroic performance um, in, in defeat and, and equally heroic of a victory for Tyson Fury, um, now de- defeating Deontay Wilder twice uh, and really adding another signature victory to what's becoming um, the most, you know, the best resume in modern heavyweight boxing. So it was an incredible spectacle. Um, and I'm with TC. I think it's one of the great heavyweight fights of all time, the perfect end to a trilogy. And, and such an amazing back and forth. Um, the crowd was incredible. You had all the, the, the A-listers out. It really had that big heavyweight fight feel that we've been missing in this town since the second fight in February of 2020 that we have been missing for 20 months. And it, it was certainly an incredible atmosphere, an incredible fight. And both guys just showed a tremendous Amount of part in character. And obviously, Fury's going to be remembered for the victory, but Deontay Wilder has nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, he I think he earned the respect of the public um, as much as possible with the way he competed and the way he kept coming and coming and coming throughout the course of those 12 rounds or 11 rounds.
3: And, and we're talking about the weekend, guys. I mean, you know, th- we had the record crowd for a WNBA game with the Aces on Friday night. And then again, you know, we had 16,000 at T Mobile Arena in yeah. uh, an electric atmosphere. And I've gone on record and said this numerous times for me there is and we've all been at major sporting events to me there is nothing like a world championship fight that ring walk with a crowd and and and, and, and it was there it was there saturday night and then sunday you go to a legion stadium where you've got you know sixty thousand plus there and for the first time this season we actually had The visiting team represented you didn't have it with baltimore fans you didn't have it with dolphin fans but these bears fans to me that felt like a college bowl game so talk about what we talked about what a historic and great atmosphere vegas sports has had friday saturday and sunday speak to that real
4: quick yeah i'll go uh and, and say that i'm on record last night on sports night on Channel 3 at 11.30, Uh top-ranked show in, in, in Las Vegas. <laughs> no, I'm on record in saying yeah. that it was easily at at least 50-50 Bears fans to Raider fans, but I'm saying it was probably more like 60-40. I mean, it yeah. was there was a large Chicago Bears contingent. And they had more the to cheer about, too. They did, and, <laughs> and they did cheer. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, uh. it was loud. So, I mean, that was – it was a great atmosphere. If you're a, if you're a Raiders fan, especially here in Las Vegas, you're a little bit saddened by the fact that someone else came in and kind of took over your stadium, a la Los Angeles, where the mm-hmm. Raiders went down there and they were. They booed the Chargers when they ran onto right. the field. You know yeah. what I mean? It wasn't right. that bad, right. but I mean, you know, they're known for having the opposing team come in there and kind of take over their venue. I, yesterday, the Bears came in and took over the venue, but it was still electric. I mean that's what we want here in Las Vegas, man. We want a an NFL team, we want that stadium, we want those fans to be out there and, and be rabid and that's exactly what we got. Unfortunately, we didn't get a great game. Um unless you're num checking. You're from Chicago. There you go.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sam. I know you got to get going real quick, and there's some other elements I want to hit with you. I'm going to have to have you back on here later in the week about uh, the Gruden situation because you and I talked about that as well too. We talked uh, talked about on the first part of the uh, show here, but I want to have you back. But real quick, uh, thoughts about uh, the crowd on all three nights?
0: Yeah, it's just incredible guys, and I think that's you know kind of the big takeaways. Is this is a big sports. I mean, big sports city. I mean, this yes. is a major. Major city now for professional sports. It always has been for boxing, but this felt bigger. Um, you had the biggest the biggest WF attendance for WNBA game here um, in, in since the franchise got here in 2018. And every Sunday so far and Monday that we've had at Allegiant Stadium with fans, you had a, a vibrant atmosphere. Whether that's all Pro Raider fans, whether it's half, half uh, Chicago fans like it was last night, this is there's an atmosphere here. There there is something unique. All you know, I, I go into visiting uh, the visiting interview rooms after the, the Raider games. Um, to get perspective from the opposing side. And everybody that I've talked to so far, all the players and coaches from the opposing teams have talked about what a unique atmosphere this is, whether that was the Bears fans yesterday talking about how they felt the support on the road and how crazy that was, or whether it was Brian Forrest and Miami Dolphins talking about how intimidating of a place this was to play when it was a pro Raider crowd. So this is a huge, um, it's a big sports city. And we had as big of a, <laughs> a, big of a weekend as you could possibly have here with the, with the with the the importance of the three events that took place. So it's a really cool landscape and I, you know, I'm glad I get to share it with you guys
4: uh, first and foremost. So, DC, appreciate
0: you having me on. And I always get a wrap.
4: My guy, man. Hey,
0: great
3: perspective, Sam. Hey, got great it. perspective. All right, Sam. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Appreciate the time today. Uh,
0: all right. Sounds good, fellas. Talk there he is. All right. Again,
3: wanted to have a little round table with, uh, with my guys from the Prince uh, side, from the TV side, uh, all experienced it. Uh, we all experienced it Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and experienced everything.
4: How about this? Really quickly. Yeah. We didn't even mention the fact that we had a PGA FedEx Cup playoff event in crowd <laughs> right? this weekend. Got a little buried there. Yeah, no, about yeah, that? And yeah. UFC over the apex. Yeah. That's what kind of stuff you got going on yeah. in Las Vegas. Do we
3: have Bruno Mars in town as well, too?
4: I don't know, man. I mean, you don't know? He
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, for three days, too, you know? Just, oh, you know? Bruno Mars. Oh, uh, unbelievable. He makes
4: good music, man. My yeah. wife and kids love yeah. him. b Sal, you got to go to work? I do, man. All right, man. We I'm appreciate you uh,
3: stopping by today, really. Man, good I stuff. appreciate
4: you having me Thanks. in studio. Obviously, you're my guys, man. You and i <laughs> um, Chuck, man. I, I, and we have Sammy the Bull, another one of my guys. Yep. It is, this is great.
3: And we're wishing our guy, Frank, uh, to get better still in the hospital. we yeah. gonna go see Frank uh, uh, after the show today. So. Okay. And uh, he's out there listening. We're going to get him back as well, too. So, B-SAL, catch him tonight. Yes. He's donning the blue suit tonight. Uh, there we go. There we go. Check we it go. out. There we go. All right. That's right, man. 5, 10, 11. Six, 6, ten, ten, W, 11 o'clock, there you go. channel 3. There it is. B-SAL in the house. Uh, when we come back, Tim Bradley's going to join us. We'll get his perspective from the fight on Saturday night. That and a whole lot more coming your way. It is the T.C. Martin Show on a marvelous Monday.
6: Be like T-ball pretty soon. Touch it, and
3: a ground ball to third. Breaking for the plate, the throw, and they
0: go. Did he get him? Oh, he him. Oh, I thought he missed him. He did miss him. In the entertainment capital of the
5: world. It isn't. The runner goes halfway. No. Somebody thought it was on. His tourist had a to scoop on. him. Doesn't get it. And Ty Wigginton,
0: he, he bumped him and he's gone. It's the T.C. Martin Show. And Wigginton is furious. Diagnosis. The 3-2 pitch. The prognosis. Outside ball for caught three. Ball strike three. I didn't
6: think that Marty Foster was going to ring it up, and he did.
0: It's the Doctor T.C. Martin. No, my goodness gracious! No, no, no! You got to be kidding me! You got to be kidding me! The Doctor is now in.
3: Get your money's worth. Glad to have you with us here, hour number two on this magnificent Monday, call it what you want, what a busy, historic weekend here in Las Vegas, again, the WNBA semifinals at Game 5 Friday night, Electric at Mandalay Bay, the Michelobolta Arena, Saturday night T-Mobile Arena, the fight, the fight, oh my goodness. And I appreciate Brian Salmon and uh, Sam Gordon joining me last hour talking about the wild crazy weekend here in Las Vegas. And then, of course, the Raiders and the Bears. And like I said, the first time in the three home games that we've had here, all right, and if you four home games, if you want to count the Seattle um, Seahawks coming for the exhibition game, but the first time you've had a rabid visiting fan base where they packed the place and were boisterous. I mean, totally different atmosphere with the Chicago Bears and their fans here yesterday at Allegiant Stadium, and the Bears got the job done over the Raiders 20-9, to 9, and uh, we'll get to more uh, sound and audio from John Gruden and uh, Derek Carr regarding uh, that game. So, all right, uh, Matt Holt's going to join us a little bit later on this hour as well, too, and we start talking to him about uh, what our eyes saw over the course of the football weekend, Saturday from the college side and Sunday from the NFL side, but right now, it is more fight talk, and we talk, too. The five-time champ and a fantastic job on the ESPN broadcast. We're talking about Timothy Bradley, my man. What is up, brother?
1: What's going on? What's going on, fellas? How y'all doing, baby?
3: We're doing good, Tim. Uh, Wow! All right, so let's talk about Fury Wilder three. The WBC Heavyweight Championship on the line, T-Mobile Arena. Tim, we talked about it last week, and the whole time building up to this thing, uh, build as once and for all, and I was saying, okay, I hope this actually lives up to the billing of the title Not the hype, but once and for all, because I don't want to see Deontay Wilder anymore. I don't want to see Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder anymore. And I predicted that Tyson Fury would dispose of him. Now that he did, do we need to see any more of Deontay Wilder, Tim? Even though he did, it was a game effort. It was a game performance. But what do you think of the fight at T-Mobile Arena here on Saturday night?
1: Well, first of all, do we need to see some more Deontay Wilder? Absolutely, we need to see more Deontay Wilder, without a doubt. Uh, but I don't know if we're going to see him in the ring with Tyson Fury again. I mean, you know, if you if you really dig deep into the into to all three matches, I mean, Tyson Fury to me has won all three mm-hmm. of their matches. You know, and, and this last time, I mean, this was a this was a classic. Honestly, I was at home, I was screaming at the TV, I was going crazy, I was. I was a nut, man. I was doing commentary during the course of the fight as well. I was texting my colleagues that were there on site, man, just going back and forth with different things I was thinking about. Uh, it was just um, it was an exhilarating event. Um, you know, you've never see two heavyweights, big guys, as big as these guys were, standing toe-to-toe. It wasn't a boxing match. It was a fight. And and you know, the first round was very interesting because I, I was kinda of scoring a fight uh, you know, on Twitter and I you know, the first round the way Wilder came out, he was different. I mean he was sharp, he was explosive, he was digging down to the body, you can see the game plan that he was implementing and I was like I told my wife I looked at, her, I said, Wow, that was a great first round by Wilder. I was like, But can he sustain that? And can he make adjustments because Fury's gonna catch on to it, you know, sooner than later. And, uh, you know, and she was just like, well, we're going to see. And, you know, at the third round, I started seeing Wilder being a little gas, and I was like, oh, here he goes. There's the second fight now for Deontay Wilder. Let's see once if he gets hit, if he gets hit hard, he goes down to get hurt. Is he going to result back to who he is? And that's exactly what happened. soon as he got hit, dropped, he resulted back to form. It's normal, normal Deontay Wilder, bagging up, you know, locked knees, uh, standing in the corner, got hit with some big shots over the, over the top, into the body. Uh, but great effort, great effort by him, though, man. He showed a tremendous amount of heart and will during the course of the fight. And, and I have to honestly say that he made—he actually made the fight. Tyson Fury, we knew, we knew Tyson Fury was going to come and bring it, like he brought it the second time. So that—that that, we knew that was coming. But I didn't think Deontay Wilder was going to fight as hard as he did during the course of
3: the fight. Yeah, and I think that the, that the layoff and all that time and the postponement really helped Deontay Wilder. Because if they would have fought like when they were going to originally, I think it would have been more of the same. But Deontay Wilder had time to to kind of at least attempt to reinvent himself. And I'm with you. Round one, I thought, okay, this is like the, the Deontay Wilder, the the 10 title defenses we saw before. But then as the fight wore on, I said, ah, there go the legs. Oh, there goes the cardiovascular. It's just like, nah, he, <laughs> he, he doesn't have it. And it's really strange, Tim, too, because when this guy was, was just rolling through the division, and granted, he didn't fight a lot of great competition, but again, there wasn't a lot of great competition in the heavyweight division during that time. He had those ten title defenses, and when he got in the ring with Fury, he was a big favorite because Fury kind of disappeared, he ballooned up to four hundred pounds, was going through the drug issues, the recovery, and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, Wilder, you know, did his thing uh, for the most part in that first fight, and then till he started taking some shots, and then boom, like you said. When he when he laid uh, Tyson Fury out in that twelfth round, which we still are shocked that Tyson Fury got up from that that twelfth round knockdown, going back to December 2018, it ended up a draw. But like you, I felt yes that Tyson Fury still won that fight because he probably he yeah. won a majority of the rounds. I say he won at least, you know seven of the twelve rounds, maybe even eight of those twelve rounds. But right. you know what that fight captured everyone's attention and made a name for Tyson Fury. And I think a lot of people that time too were thinking like, okay, you know, Deontay Wilder is still that guy that we've you know seen him with those 10 title defenses. So that's why the rematch yeah. was curious. But when the rematch came in February of 2020, it was all Fury, all night, the seventh round TKO, the stoppage. But from that moment on, it was like, I can just speak for myself, and I think, you know, you and I have talked about it before too. That you know, it's just like nah, I, I don't think we want to see more of this because the beating that that Wilder took of Fury that night. I mean, that leaves a lasting impression. And, and we've taught you talked about this before. You know, when you get hit with those type of shots, are you going to be the same person? So the beginning of the fight, it was like, okay, Wilder's here. But then when he started getting hit with those shots, and like you said, ran out of gas. It was the Deontay Wilder that basically. I'm expecting to never see again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, the, the, you know, the crazy thing is is that I, and I was talking to my wife not too long ago. I told her, I said, we may not see Deontay Wilder again. as a possibility he may not return. I mean, he was getting away with doing things the wrong way, and he was knocking out guys left and right. He got comfortable with – the knockout. He got comfortable with himself. He was enamored with his power. He thought that anything he can hit, he can destroy. Yeah, that may very well be true, but Tyson Fury is a different, a different animal. But the thing is, is that now he comes back 20 months later. He changes everything. He does everything right. Got a nutritionist. He's weight training, 300 pounds, you know, bitch pressing. I mean, he's doing everything that he possibly can. Changing some, quote, oh, complete team, except I believe it's like one guy. You know? And... He did everything right, and it still wasn't good enough. So when you do everything wrong and you're having results, and you do everything right and you're you're not having the right results, then like, what is there? What's more to do? Honestly, I mean, this is the pinnacle, the top. Forget about the belts from right now. The belts are a spectacle at the moment. Forget about that. Let's talk about number one versus number two. Wilder showed last night or Saturday night that he was the number two heavyweight in the division you know i would argue that you know because Jack, uh, anthony joshua he had healed well he held most of the titles but he just lost to Usyk. so i would say that deontay wilder is number two and the way he performed man just the way he performed those guys were in the ring they were having a It with a dog fight you can see how much they hated each other like you could i was like just glaring through the television. Now I was watching. I was like, these guys just do not like each other. Every punch that was thrown was a death blow. Like honestly, and you know when they got busy and they start, you know Tyson uh, Fury start mauling them in the inside and stuff. And I was like, oh, here he goes. Here he, here he comes. Here he comes. And I'm screaming the whole time. Uppercut, uppercuts available. <laughs> then he finally throws it in the eleventh round. Right. And finally throws it. Finds a home for that. But you know. Wilder had a great game plan. I think they put a little bit too much mass on the top. If he wanted more stability, he should have put the mass on the legs. He still had Kit cats for, for, for legs. I mean, they were small. Little bitty legs, big upper body. You know, he should have switched. He should have reversed it. Put the weight on the legs so that way he could be more stable. Right. There's ways of getting around the mauling as well. You know, it's something that Malik missed. Uh, there wasn't a plan B. The, there was no plan B. It was just to the body. They had the game plan to the body, to the body. And he still carried his hands low, like I was saying. You know, he did implement some feints. I thought was brilliant. And he did disguise his right hand every now and then behind various jabs. But that was it. There was nothing more. Footwork was still terrible, in my opinion. So, great, uh, decent job. I would say a decent job by Malik. Uh, even though this is their first fight they to work together, um, you know, I, I always tell you, I always tell people, you can't show an uh, old dog new tricks. Right. Honestly, you know, he, it, it's been embedded since day one. If this guy would learn how to box from day one, then it's in his DNA. It's 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 who he is. But he has it. He's been fighting a certain way his whole entire career. And as soon as you get under that pressure, that's what that's what comes back. That's what's going to be shown inside that ring. And uh, it wasn't good enough, Tyson Fury is is to me to to me Tyson Fury is the modern day Ali. I have to say that. The modern day Ali. This was one of those type of fights where, you know, you you just put you, well now they the new age now I would say put in the put the put in the VCR but right. now you just you just click it click it on YouTube or or whatever uh app you want to put it on and uh you know ESPN whatever app you want to put it on man and just watch it. It's a beautiful beautiful fight. Uh, a classic, all-time one and probably top three heavyweight classics, in my opinion. Um, I honestly wouldn't mind seeing a fourth fight, <laughs> but I, I, I highly, highly doubt it.
3: <laughs> Timothy Bradley uh, joins us, and we're talking about what we saw Saturday night. Fury, Wilder, three. Tyson Fury with the 11th round knockout. Uh, referee Russell Mora stops the fight as Wilder went down face first. Into the canvas there, and it was just an accumulation of of being fatigued, tired, and getting hit with all those shots. I talked uh, before Tim about the punches landed fury one hundred and fifty to seventy two the jabs thirty six to nine power punches one fourteen to sixty three and in that ninth round where fury was phenomenal, connected on twenty two of forty five and wilder just had he had single digit outputs in ten of the eleven rounds just it, it wasn 't there for all those reasons that you talked about. Uh, Let me ask you this. And you fought, you know, guys like Manny Pacquiao multiple times. Um, Is it one of these things with Deontay Wilder where just fury is just his nemesis. It's just not a good matchup for him, but if we see Deontay Wilder against someone else, maybe a Yusek or a Joshua or like I said an Ortiz again, that maybe there is the Deontay Wilder again that we come to remember before he started this trilogy with fury. Yeah, you know,
1: honestly, uh I think that I think that Deontay Wilder, if he if he does come back, I think like I said, he's the number two heavyweight in the division. Um, some people may argue that, but the, the performance he put on against Tyson Fury—he gave Tyson Fury hell, um, you know. And I get some guys are saying, "Well, it was, it was kind of like a one-sided beating as well." I was like, "Dude, there was—it wasn't a second during the fight. where I was like, oh, Fury's about to get hit with a right hand.' Uh, you know, I mean, it, any second, he even hurt. See, he even hurt Fury in the tenth.
3: Yes, he yep. hurt him
1: in the tenth round with with the uppercut, and then you know, uh, the bell—the bell had rang, but. Um, And and Fury sure was able to survive, but still, man, he this guy was still alive. He still was swinging back, even though he was dead tired. And and this is the thing: when you when you start lifting weights, that requires more oxygen. You got to understand that. That requires more oxygen. You put the mass on, you have less flexibility. So what what Wilder did wrong here was is that he wanted strength and he wanted power, and he sacrificed his stamina. You know, he didn't have great stamina to begin with, and I, you know, I heard through the grapevine he wasn't a he wasn't a big fan of running. Um, There's ways of building your stamina. I mean, swimming swimming is like the ultimate, and I used to incorporate that into my training program because I was a very muscular guy that required a ton of oxygen and had really good stamina. So, if he would have, I think if he would have had it more work in the stamina department. I think you would have been better off going that route versus building all that mass. But I wouldn't mind seeing Deontay Wilder against Joshua. I think he destroys Joshua. Mm-hmm. Different, two different mindsets, honestly. Two different mindsets. You know, I was waiting to see if, if, if Wilder uh, was going to kind of lay down, and he didn't. He didn't lay down. Ferry had to really take it and beat it out of him, honestly. Ferry earned this victory the hard way, you know. Um, so – um Deontay Wilder if he fights a guy like Usyk or uh, he lands one of those right hands it could be a good night for Usyk because Usyk is a small guy. If he fights Joshua, I think he knocks out Anthony Joshua to be honest with you. He'll hit Anthony Joshua with one of those right hands and, and I believe he'll go to sleep. Uh Usyk hurt him for Christ's sakes. You know, Anthony Joshua is not the same guy he once was. So yes, Wilder number 2 is Wilder ever going to be better than Tyson Fury? <laughs> No, even if they will fight a fourth time, no. But, uh, you know, number two is not bad for anyone in, in any division, man. Number two is a really good spot for any heavyweight.
3: You know what was sad, though? I mean, you know, Deontay Wilder really did capture the American public for a period there because we haven't had any American, you know, heavyweights that were really worth a darn. And it's kind of sad To see Wilder still, even at the press conference last week, still talking about the last fight and accusing Tyson Fury of cheating and that nonsense. And you'd just like to see him just move away from that and just say, hey, you got beat down. You know, he made the changes. He got rid of Mark Breland. He brought in Malik Scott. And, you know, that was a big question mark for me. It's like, okay, this is a guy who, who he fought in the ring and and, and beat up Malik Scott. Now Malik Scott's going to turn into a trainer, and now he's going to train him, and this is the first time you're going to get... I mean, there's just a lot of red flags here. And like you said, coming off of that last fight, you know, you were surprised that he didn't lay down because after the beating he took, and and he talked about after that fight, it was like, well, not even sure he wants to fight again. I mean, there are a lot of these questions. So it was really great to see Deontay Wilder come in there, stand up, uh, deliver shots... And I I was like you, like, wow. I mean, it could end at any point in time, you know, the other way. If he connects with Fury and he put Fury down twice in one round. And then, here we go, Tim, at the end of the fight, the sportsmanship has gone out the door, and Tyson Fury tries to say, you know, good fight, good fight, and then Wilder wants nothing to do with him again. It's just like, man, you just, you know, people want to like Fury, but it's hard, I mean, uh, Wilder... But it's hard to like this guy.
1: (laughs) You know, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a huge fan of Deontay Wilder myself. Right. I'm really not. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not. Um, But when Fury said that he would try to go over there and, you know, just, you know, show respect. Right. And the fact that he didn't respond and said, I don't, I don't, still don't respect you, man. Oh. Honestly, they it just put a sour taste in my mouth honestly and I was just like, "Ah, that's why I don't like this guy. You know, right. you got to be a man about it, you know, when you're winning and you're knocking guys out, you know, you got to be a, a gentleman about it. When you lose, you got to be a gentleman about it. And it's just like it just seems like Wilder has never got that memo at all. He's a sore loser. Um that sucks. Um just the way he is. But uh, I'm not a fan of it at all, man.
3: Right? And had uh, anything like that happened to you during the course of your career? Whether uh, I doubt it was on your side, never. but just your opponents. I mean, a- afterwards. Never. Yeah,
1: never, because they know I'll bust them upside the head. That's why they know that. <laughs> 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 they know I ain't, I ain't taking that. I'll be like, man, you a sore loser. I call them out on it, you know, and and I'll I'll dig into them. But uh, no, I've never had that. Never had that problem
3: yeah I mean for the most part I mean again you got there's a brotherhood there and a lot of people don 't realize that you know with boxing they think they get just get that in football and some of the other sports because you 're represented by a players' association and that sort of thing but with boxers, there is that that mutual you know respect and you know sure we love the hype we love the trash talking but for the most part I mean when a fight is over I mean you guys embrace and and you know yeah. and you, you you get that you know for the most part you do see that more times and not in boxing.
1: Yeah, you do. Um, and and I think I think we need to take into account also that this is you know Fury has been in Deontay's Wilder brain. I mean for twenty months straight. You know this guy was looking for a peace of mind. This guy was looking for his identity back. Like you said, he fired he fired his coaches. He you know he fired a lot of people on his team. He you know made a lot of excuses and allegations towards Tyson Fury. It was just a hard it's a hard thing to deal with just dealing with the loss in in itself. So, you know, this is a guy that's just at, seriously, you, he hears the name Tyson Fury, and he, he just, you know, he, he grimaces, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't want to talk about Tyson Fury. Like, Tyson Fury is not a subject that he wants to talk about with anyone, you know. And it, it sucks when someone can just completely take over your mind and, and take over your body like that, man. And, uh, you know, he's going to have to deal with this for the rest of his life. Um, he should just come to come to an understanding that, hey, Fury's just a better fighter. That's just it, and it's okay. Everybody, you know, he's still a great fighter, and, you know, he shouldn't be such a sore loser about it, and and he just needs to accept it. That's it. And once he does that, then he'll be able to move on with his life. But if he doesn't, um, it's going to haunt him. It's going to haunt him forever. It really is.
3: You know, Tyson Fury has really become America's champion you know and this was perfectly planned and orchestrated by Bob Arum and Top Rank when they brought him over and said hey we're going to have you fight in Vegas and again you know for for the most part you know american fans not crazy about british fighters and foreign fighters but tyson fury has gotten that he's got that personality and he's engaging yeah. as you know i mean being around this guy and just you know we we love talking to him all the time you know and yeah. and he's and he's saluting vegas and you know and he's And in his ring interest from Henderson, Nevada, which is pretty awesome, you know, and you know, it's crazy, but this is what this guy has become. But Tim, how much more are we really going to see of Tyson Fury? I mean, come on, this guy's up there in age and he's made a lot of money. He's disposed of of probably the biggest challenge in Deontay uh, Wilder in three fights now. So I imagine Yusick they're going to try to maybe make that the fight, or if Usyk and, and Josh are going to fight again, then he gets the winner. But how many more fights do you think we have with Tyson Fury before he calls it a day or calls it a career? You know you what? Know, I, I don't know.
1: I, you know, honestly, I can't answer that. I, I think that's up to him. Um, I wouldn't still, even though Joshua doesn't have the belts, I still wouldn't mind seeing that match. Um, I, I still wouldn't mind seeing it at all, even though he he's lost. Um, I think if if Usyk and Joshua does it again, the winner should face Tyson Fury. Um, I, I've been hearing Dylan White, and I've been hearing what Hearns has been saying. And um, I, I mean, I respect Dylan White, but like, <laughs> bro, get in line, get in line. There's other guys, you know, in front of you, and uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that clash, the battle of England, with Anthony Joshua. And Tyson Fury still, with or without a belt, I think it'll still be a huge event. And I think everybody will tune in because uh, I, I think we all know what's going to happen. <laughs> if it does happen, but we still want to see it, man. That's how crazy it, we are. We still want to see it. Tyson Fury right. would <laughs> uh Anthony Joshua. He would destroy him. And I, and I believe that fight probably won't even go past ah, six, seven rounds. I'm saying it right now. It wouldn't go past if they were to fight, but I still want to. I still want to see it because Joshua got that right hand. Well, he does.
2: And
3: here's the thing: he got a right hand. It, it's it's kind of. I don't want to say it's unfinished business, but because they haven't fought before, but this that fight was, has been talked about for the better part of five or six years, and it, and it just didn't never happen. Isn't that fight easier to make happen now?
1: It should be. Yeah, it should be. But yeah, it should be. Definitely it should be. You know. I... You know, you know history. History. It, it, if you look back at history, if you really think about it, and you and we talk about, you know, uh, Sugar Ray, Sugar Ray Leonard, we talk about Hearns. You talk about, uh, you talk about Duran. You talk about all these guys that came before us. Uh, Hagler. Do you remember a belt? Do you? Do you? Can you recall what belt they fought for? Oh, they fought for the WBC title <laughs> in this fight, or that? You just remember the matchups. Right. That's what we remember. We remember the matchups. So, Anthony Joshua is still a great matchup for Tyson Fury, whether well, we look at it or not. And I understand, like I said, what I said, but anything can happen. It takes one punch in the heavyweight division. One punch. And that's the beauty about the big guys. You know, and it's not like the small guy. No, that's one punch in the heavyweight division. And it's going to be anybody's night. Just because Fury, he's reigning right now, he's looking great. He He, he survived this fight, but the, no telling what happened to him during this fight. Trust me, a piece of Tyson Fury was left in that ring Saturday night. You know, Deontay Wilder took something from him. He did. He took a lot from him. You know, so, and and the same thing, we can say the same thing about Anthony Joshua. But at the end of the day, different styles and styles make fights. I still want to see it because Joshua still, like I said, he still has a puncher's chance to beat a Tyson Fury. You just never know in a heavyweight division
3: yeah and it's not like you have this uh, it's not like the welterweight division where you have you know all of these guys that uh, you know would make for great matchups you don't have that yeah. in the heavyweight division so that's what begs the question like okay yeah. you know Joshua's got beaten twice but you know what you know it's it, it's probably the most entertaining fight and the fight that could really sell the most i mean there's no question yep. about that yeah. yeah that's a great point i mean even even when even when ali was
1: reigning i mean ali was got beat He got beat several times, but then he comes back. It's not about being beat. It's about how you come back. Right? You know, uh, you got Anthony Joshua. He's been down. He's, what, second time getting beat? Okay. Let's see how he comes back from that. Can he avenge his loss? If he avenges his loss, then he moves forward. Now we got Tyson Fury waiting, waiting for him you know and and it's a huge fight and if it'll be for all the marbles that's great if it's not if he loses again i still want to see the fight <laughs> it doesn't matter i mean i, I think i think joshua in fury still sells more than usyk and and fury still sells more
2: i totally without, agree a, what, totally without agree. a doubt mm-hmm.
1: without a doubt man so um joshua's still still a, a household name people still love him you know he when he loses he loses grace, gracefully so people respect him and they honor that and you know, they tell hey get well, champ, you know, come back stronger, champ. You know, they still believe in him and they still follow him. You know, that's the difference between uh, I would say the American fans and the English fans. They still get behind their guy when lose a draw. They still get behind their guy.
3: And that's so, what that fight would have to be over in England as well too. It man, makes it makes all the sense in the world, yeah. Oh yeah. As oh, much as we'd like to see it here, it just makes sense to to put it in Wembley or somewhere like that,
1: yeah. That fight will sell out Wembley. Yeah. <laughs> if they were to make that fight four months from now or six months from now, that fight will still sell out Wembley.
3: Crazy stuff, man. Ah, Tim Bradley, the five-time champ, ESPN, boxing analyst, does a fantastic job. Love you, man. Appreciate Great you. insight. too, brother. Great stuff. And we got a lot of boxing to talk about here in Vegas. We got one down. We got two to go. We got Plant and Canelo, and then we got Crawford and Porter. Man, it's Ooh. a good time. It's a good time to be here, man.
1: Yes, it is. Right. Can't wait.
3: You got it, brother. All right, brother. Talk to you later. All right. Peace. There it is. Timothy Bradley, my guy. Yeah. Tim uh, was not on the ESPN call uh, this past week because, again, it was one of those funky things where PBC and ESPN were, were sharing the broadcast and the dual pay-per-views. And you had, you know, Showtime's Sean Porter over with, with Max Kellerman. We saw him there. And, uh, uh, you know, and uh, how about Showtime? So Showtime comes on the show, uh, you know, you know, you know last, fr- last Friday, and then he they have the press conference Saturday at the MGM Grand where they announce his fight with uh, Terrence Bud Crawford, and Showtime is there putting in his time, answering all the questions, doing the press conference, and he commanded the press conference, did a fantastic job there, and you probably saw some stuff that that I posted on social media, but then. He has to race out of there. And like two hours later, he's on TV doing the Fury Wilder prelims that started early, like two in the afternoon. And then he's there till midnight doing the main event and everything else. So, my, my guy. And then he's got to get up and go to church on Sunday. And he's got to get back training on Monday. So, up in Mount Charleston. So, there he is. Sean Porter, our guy, can hardly wait for that fight. All right, we come back. We talk to Matthew Holt. We start talking NFL.
4: This is Showtime, Sean Porter. You know I'm tuning into to the T.C. Martin Show. Busy Monday, of
3: course, because a busy weekend. we been going nonstop, man. we got more Major League Baseball coming your way tonight. Dodgers and Giants, Max Scherzer. On the mound tonight. Red Sox could eliminate the Rays. How about that? Meaning that I've got to really get creative with my, my trip now. You know, with the Astros. And can the Astros hang on after they lost last night, 12-6. to 6. So, they got rained out today in Chicago. So, game number four between the Stros and the White Sox will take place tomorrow afternoon. All right. All right, let's continue on. Here, uh, Matthew Hold is going to join us. Matt, what's happening, brother? TC, how we doing? Busy, exhausted. Uh, you can fill in the blank anywhere you want, my friend. Oh, and by the way, yeah, that's right. Golden Knights, they start tomorrow, right? <laughs> Jeez.
6: That's it. I'm with you on the busy, exhausted, man. I what know. a crazy week with G2E and... I went to the la the night's last preseason game, and went to an overnight fishing trip this weekend. I am burnt
3: out, brother. I hear you, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and, and joining us. So let's play a little catch-up here. We've been talking about, uh, you know, the great weekend here in Vegas uh, with uh, what we, you know, what transpired. Going back Friday night with the Aces losing that uh, that game five in front of ten thousand fans there, and then of course the fight Saturday night. Uh, 16,000 plus there in one of the best heavyweight fights so we've seen. We've talked a lot about it earlier on. Matt, uh, give me your take. Uh, Fury Wilder, what were your thoughts?
6: I thought it was a good fight. I mean, uh, Deontay Wilder actually showed himself very well. Uh, I think the last fight was embarrassing, and he made a lot of excuses after that fight, but But he just wasn't ready to go that night. And even the first fight, let's face it, I mean, he was clearly going to lose the fight, lands that one big haymaker at the end, gets a 10-8 round, end up sneaks in a draw. But I thought he came out ready to fight last night, and he really pushed Tyson Fury and made him go to war. Um, And it ended up being a great fight for the fans.
3: It definitely did. All right, uh, let's talk uh, NFL. And, you know, talking about the weekend here in Vegas, Matt, it was the first time that we actually saw the good amount of visiting fans come into Allegiant Stadium where it made a difference. And we didn't see that with the two previous games, the regular season games with Baltimore and Miami, just not having those type of fan bases that are going to travel. But, man, the Bears... Uh, Can you imagine if the Bears were actually good? You know, how many people they could have brought to Allegiant Stadium, but I've never seen so much uh, blue and orange. It really had a feeling for me being there yesterday of like a college bowl game.
6: Well, some of it, you know, look, and uh, I'll just say this, I'm vaccinated, but let's face it. They do have a vaccinate protocol in in the stadium and there's some people who aren't and and I know of some ticket holders who aren't, and they don't go to the games. So what happens if you don't go to the games? You sell your tickets. And who are the people looking to buy tickets normally? Opposing fans looking to come to Vegas. So I do think that they're... There's something about that, and once that ends, those people that had season tickets holders will probably go to more games rather than sell their tickets, and it'll be a little bit less obvious. But I always go back to the Golden Knights. and the Golden Knights, I saw some stat that they were in the top three in the NHL in terms of uh, opposing fans that go to their arena. Yet you can't go to a Golden Knights game and not know that you know the the hometown team is the Golden Knights. That those crowds are electric. There is nothing like it. It's one of the greatest non-football sport. You know, because football has so many fans. if we're talking, you know, twenty-five thousand or less in an arena, I think T-Mobile's amazing. Yet they're still in the top three in the league in terms of opposing fans attending games. So I think in a big, massive stadium like Allegiant, because Las Vegas is a destination city, you would assume that Las Vegas will always be in the top five in terms of opposing fans visiting the stadium. And when you face some of these very historic teams with fan bases that travel and you add in any other circumstances – that may cause season ticket holders to stay home, you're going to see them show up maybe in higher than expected numbers. But to your point, that didn't happen against Baltimore. It didn't happen against Miami. I don't think it's – you know, I think there was a lot of circumstances that played into it. At the end of the day, I, I think everyone should wrap their arms around the fact that just like the Vegas Golden Knights, the Las Vegas Raiders should be expected to be in the top three in terms of opposing fans visiting their stadium but it still doesn't mean we can't have one of the best home field advantages in football.
3: Great points there. And you know, when you talk about the vaccination part, you're right. And you know, a lot of people no one's talking about that. I mean, that is key right there because yeah, we both know people that uh are are not vaccinated and they have season tickets and uh they got to sell the, their tickets. And so yeah, that that is a a, a real Fact on why there are, you know, so many visiting teams, uh, uh, fans that will, will come to these games. And let's say this, if the Raiders can, you know, win games and be relevant in the AFC West, then you probably will will get more raider fans in creating a better home field advantage but if that team starts losing then you know then it turns into a jacksonville or like tampa used to be all the time you know especially when teams from you know the afc north or the nfc north go and hey this is our opportunity you know you know we're transplants we live down in florida that sort of thing but if the raiders win i think you see less and less of that
6: look at the end of the day again go to a vegas golden knights game during the regular season, you'll see hundreds of opposing jerseys, but there's not an empty seat in the building. The the atmosphere is electric, and come playoff time when all the Knights fans and season ticket holders go to every game, it's one of the most awesome home home ice advantages in hockey. I think the Raiders could be the same if they're relevant. Look, during the regular season, there's going to be times where you're going to see thousands of opposing team fans just because the city is such a destination city. But hopefully you're right. If the Raiders can start to make a run and make the playoffs, the season ticket holders will really show up, and it'll be a true home field advantage for the Las Vegas Raiders.
3: All right. Bears really dominated the Raiders yesterday, 29 in the final. The Raiders 5 of 14 on third down, 1 for 3 on fourth down. Questionable play calling again came into play with Gruden. He had to mix matches his line. Uh, it was it was just not a, a good day, and then Matt, you also got to factor in, you know, the uh, everything that transpired with with Gruden, with the news coming out about the emails, and we we touched upon that a little bit earlier. But uh, I don't know, it just it just wasn't a great situation for them, and probably really not a good betting situation if you're you know laying five five and a half with the Raiders yesterday.
6: Yeah, look, I don't do a lot of betting these days because I run a company, obviously U.S. Integrity, uh, but the NFL contests are still, I still am able to enter those NFL contests. So I, I watch it pretty intently. And in terms of betting, the one thing I've learned over the, and, so, and look, I finished second in the Hilton Super contest right. in 2009. So I have some history of success there. The one thing we've learned about betting in the NFL, which is a really unpredictable league. That's why you can go to, you know, bet whatever you want when you go up to the counter, because the league's so unpredictable, the books are happy to take the action is that, it's a really a league of, you know, consistency and repetition and routine. And it's, you know, the, they play a game, they take a day off, they practice, they do another practice, they do a, a walkthrough. It's really set up very carefully in terms of their preparation for games every week. And anything that disrupts that preparation and that routine in getting ready, I tend to find that those teams do not succeed or play well. We saw it early in the year. Is, You know, the Green Bay Packers with all the Aaron Rodgers talk about why he didn't want to be there. and, And they came out and laid an egg. We've just seen it throughout the history of the NFL that more times than not, when a team has a big internal distraction, their preparation suffers and they play poorly. And I'm not saying that Gruden did anything wrong. He did anything right. It was 10 years ago. It may or may not have been taken out of context. Who knows? The players may or may not be upset now. But there was so much media around it, the players being interviewed. It couldn't help but be a distraction at least for this one week and the preparation for the game.
2: All right,
3: here's John Gruden talking about the off-the-field distractions.
5: No, I, you know, I can't speak for everybody. You know, we, we, um, we had a touchdown now uh, We had two holding penalties. And uh, I can't speak for everybody. But... Um, They're a good football team on defense. And they're, you know, they're rallying around their young quarterback with a new play caller, and they ran the ball extremely well. But um, I'm not going down that road.
3: All right. He didn't want to go down the road, but later, and we played those comments, you know, earlier on about what he had to say regarding the emails and DeMore Smith and that sort of thing. But the bottom line is the Raiders struggled on the field, whether that was a. A, a, you know, a faction of it, or if it was coming off the short week and that tough game against the Chargers the week before. But the Raiders really had a lot of struggles yesterday.
5: Well, obviously, we're trying to find our right mix up front. And I'm not going to point to the offensive line, but it was Parker's first game starting today. Um, Alex Leatherwood moved into right guard. And uh, we're trying to find the right mix. We're struggling right now to run the football. And obviously, our pass protection has to get better as well. Um, And we did drop some passes today that uh, really hurt us, but the penalties, uh, the penalties, they got to stop. We had some on defense that allowed them to continue drives as well, but, um, you know, it all falls back on me
3: the penalties are ridiculous. They continue to happen uh, uh, yesterday. The Raiders, you know, going backwards. And then, you know, we've seen this, Matt. I mean, we saw it before John Gruden was coach. We've seen it now with Gruden as coach. Nothing has got cleaned up. This team it just has always had the reputation of being one of the most penalized teams in the National Football League. Why can't this organization get it cleaned up?
6: I don't know, but they need to get it cleaned up really quick because – this week's game is a very important game. You're talking about two teams at 3-2 and two with the Denver Broncos that the Raiders going to Denver this week. Look, the winner of that game is going to be 4-2 and two, and right there in the hunt for an AFC West title because we know Kansas City, despite the fact that they're only 2-3 and three right now, they're going to make a run in this division and be competitive. They're still the betting favorites to win this division. The Chargers are off to a 4-1 and one start. The loser of this game could be, you know, Staring dead last in the AFC West in the face, you know, a week from today, this is a really important game. And look, Denver is struggling on offense too. You know, they only scored 17 points in the loss this week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They looked really bad offensively against the Baltimore Ravens the week before. Both teams in desperate need of win. If you're the Las Vegas Las Vegas Raiders, if you're going to try and win the AFC West this year. This almost feels like a must have game.
3: Yeah, and they've got to clean it up uh, you know, very very quickly here and the bottom line is this team just has too many inconsistencies, and people always wanted to point to the defensive side of the ball, and then actually the defense was, was getting some praise for the way they played. But then yesterday they fell backwards, and uh, you know injuries have hit this team. Uh, bottom line, I mean, John Gruden says we just have way too many inconsistencies.
5: I think they played hard. They did some really good things. We struggled in the first half. We couldn't get the ball. Um, I think we only had 25 snaps of offense in the first half. Uh, we played better in the second half. We made some mistakes early in the football game defensively, but we still are looking for a turnover. You know, we've got to get some field position established. They're playing hard. We're doing some good things, and there's some individual efforts that are just outstanding. But it wasn't enough today. You got to win in all three phases, and um, we didn't do that today.
3: Yeah, didn't do it today, and uh, so. Matt, as we look at this Raider team, and you're looking ahead to next week and looking ahead of the schedule. I mean, this was a game that many people penciled in. The Raiders are going to beat this this team. You're getting Justin Fields with his first, you know, NFL start, uh, going against the Raiders. Uh, Raiders coming off. Uh, you know, the game uh, against the Chargers, and you figure, okay, this is a good get back game for the Raiders. They had, you know, two games at Allegiant Stadium prior to that against two tough opponents where basically they fell behind 14 nothing, but they rallied to win in overtime. So they kind of figured, hey, maybe this was going to be one of those games yesterday with the Bears that, okay, you know, Bears really don't have much offensively. You know, maybe this is a good spot for the Raiders. It wasn't the case at all.
6: Yeah, no, they did not look good yesterday. And I know the defense has taken their their lumps uh, as well as the offense today, but if you hold the team, your opponents, to 20 points or less in an NFL game in 2021, you're giving your team an opportunity to win. That's exactly what the defense did yesterday, allowing exactly 20 points. I'll tell you, you're not going to win many ballgames when you score nine points.
3: You got that right. All right, are you getting the feeling here that here we go deja vu again. I mean, they started off three, and zero last year they started off, you know, you know, two and O and they were six and two and there was a lot of hype. And it just seems the last couple seasons, you get this thing where, okay, maybe this is going to be the year that the Raiders do get back to the playoffs. They turn things around. And I know that was the feeling after eight weeks last year. I mean, people were saying, Hey, where do I get my playoff tickets? You know, even though they couldn't because you know, we had a pandemic going, but it was like, wow then this team just went downhill from there. This year, fans in the stands, they get off to a 3 and 0 start and then now they're 3 and 2 losing two in a row and after yesterday's game, I know there's this fan base that is probably thinking, "Here we go again." Do you get that feeling yourself? I do. Luckily for the Raiders though, I think the schedule
6: softens up a bit and they they really need to play well this weekend. And I think if they do, that they could literally go on a quick three-game win streak here and get the fans excited. If they beat Denver, their games after that are a home game against the Eagles and a road game against the Giants team that just lost their quarterback, their top running back. I think their top two receivers were hurt coming into the game. So the Giants are all banged up. That has a recipe for 3-0 and if you could just get past the Denver Broncos. And they're going to need it because this team finishes with a heck of a tough schedule at Kansas City, at Cleveland, Denver, at Indianapolis, and then the char- rematch with the Chargers to end the season. They're going to need to have some padding going into those last five games if they're going to have any shot to make the playoffs. And to me, it starts with these next three games. They are all winnable games, and, and and they're going to be a favorite in two of those games, especially at home against Philly and on the road against the Giants team decimated with injuries. Now's the time to pull this team together, go on a run, win three games in a row, and carry some momentum into the second half of the schedule, which gets really
3: tough for the Raiders. Matthew Holt joins us from U.S. Integrity. All right, Matt, Buffalo roll over Kansas City. It was a great uh, revenge game for them. They win 38-20 going away. The Chargers fell behind. They put 47 on the board against Cleveland. A lot of people were concerned about Baker Mayfield, but he was he was solid. Uh, 47-42 there. And then you got the Packers and Bengals game. Uh, too many missed field goals. Packers end up winning by three in, in, in overtime. Oh, and by the way, Who's the only undefeated team still? It's the Arizona Cardinals. They beat the Niners 17-10. Not a pretty game there. But uh, of any of those games or anyone outside of that, what stood out for you yesterday in the NFL?
6: Probably the Buffalo Bills. I mean, Kansas City came into this game in dead last in the AFC West. They need wins right now. And Buffalo just went in there and steamrolled them. And it's the same old story for the Kansas City Chiefs defense, which is allowing 33 points per game and has allowed 20 touchdowns on the season to opponents and is allowing their opponents a 45% third-down accuracy. It's just at some point this Kansas City defense has to step up. And for all the praise Andy Reid teams get for their offense, this offense feels a bit one-dimensional time they're so predicated on the big play. They don't run the ball well, so they don't have a lot of 3rd and 3s. And because of that, most of their, you know, big scoring plays come on big plays to Tyreek Hill or big plays down the field. At the end of the day, this team is still being out first down on the season. Uh, what is it now? 84, I think by like 12 first downs. This is a Kansas City team who's just the offense. This was They were supposed to be a dynasty and win four titles in a row. And ever since that Super Bowl and how bad their offensive line has played, this offense is not the same offense we're used to the last two years. But I don't know that the sports books, and I don't know that the betters are recognizing that yet. I mean, they were still a field goal favorite. Over Buffalo, which even at home would indicate that Kansas City is a better team than Buffalo. Is there anyone right now that thinks the Kansas City Chiefs are better than the Buffalo Bills? The Chiefs are the team that I think the pro bettors, the public bettors, and the sports books are having the hardest time figuring out in 2021.
3: Yeah, I think you're right. All right. Tonight, we got the Colts and the Ravens. You know, Ravens have uh, been on the road quite a bit uh, this year, and they're going to get four games in a row at home. Then they're going to have a bye. So this is a, a big stretch for the Ravens. I know a lot of people are thinking that, hey, they're going to have a, a lot of mojo, uh, especially in front of the home uh, team tonight. in Indianapolis, especially with Carson Wentz, even though Wentz played pretty well last week, the line here is seven and a half. Uh, give me some thoughts.
6: You know, interestingly enough, if this game had been played on Sunday night instead of Monday night, I'd really like Baltimore. Some of these running teams that uh, like Baltimore have trouble coming out of, of Denver. They play up there in the altitude, and for whatever reason, they don't run the ball as effectively the next week. But with the extra day of rest and preparation, you might be able to throw that out the window I mean, at the end of the day, these are two teams that because of the number of injuries to both teams, and and you you pull up the injury report and it's 20 guys deep for both teams, they're a little bit tricky to figure out because the teams we thought they were going to be coming into the regular season aren't necessarily the teams they are. A lot of injuries on the defensive side of the football this week for Indianapolis with Quiddy Payne and in out, I mean the uh, Isaac Rochelle, a, a bunch of guys on the defensive line and in that secondary out. But they're still playing pretty decent football. I think they're pretty well coached. On the other side, obviously, the Baltimore injuries in the secondary and in the backfield that the running backs have been well documented, but we continue to stack up guys. The good news for the Ravens is, They didn't add one single player to the injury report this week, and I think they benefited the most from the extra day of rest. this it's a tough game for me tonight, TC. The one thing I did think was interesting is that longest touchdown, which a lot of times I tend to want to bet under with some teams. Tonight, I think because of the amount of play action passes and attempts that Lamar Jackson tapes deep down the field or the plays that he keeps alive and just chucks it down the field, and the fact that he's careless with the football at times, which leads to some long pick sixes, makes me think that it should be over. Yet, usually that prop is forty five and a half, forty six and a half. Tonight, I've seen several prominent sports books in town that have the longest touchdown prop at thirty nine and a half yards. I went ahead and played it over.
3: Okay, all right, brother. Great stuff, man. Appreciated uh, as always. And uh, you still live in the Survivor Series? We usually get a Survivor Series update from you here
6: still live both entries we had the Patriots and the Vikings really interesting how everybody's talking about the underdogs in the NFL this year TC yet the top two selections every week in Survivor have, have gone through every week we haven't had that monumental upset yet that takes out 60% of the field last week the top two picks for the Minnesota Vikings New England Patriots they both made it through and you know Matty Holtz both entries
3: still <laughs> alive i love it all right my man be good we'll talk to you next week all
6: right tc best of luck take care
3: there he is matt holt all right uh, appreciate uh, brian samlin for joining us today coming by in studio sam the man gordon of course the five-time champ timothy bradley recapping fury wilder three with us as well too great stuff busy weekend and we continue on major league baseball tonight tomorrow and a whole lot more oh yeah non-stop sports talk tomorrow bob arum scheduled to join us We'll have all of our football guys this week as well, too, so as we keep on keeping on. All right, for Chuck T.C. Martin saying so long. Have yourself a good one. Go to the website. Check out the recap on the fight. Our interviews are up there, the past shows, the broadcasts, all there for you at your fingertips at tcmartinshow.com. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you tomorrow at 2.